Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Josh Hayes, and I get the privilege to serve as the college pastor here uh, this morning, and uh, or, or rather this semester, and so excited to be with you today, bring the word. I appreciate the Pastor Scott to, for uh, allowing me the opportunity to stand in the pulpit this morning. would ask you to take your Bibles and join me in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 46 through 52. Mark 10, 46 through 52 Uh, This is actually one of my favorite passages in Scripture. So when I uh, discovered I had the opportunity to preach today, I made a beeline to this passage. Love it. Uh, Just ministers to me powerfully. In fact, I was in the yard, uh, I guess two days ago, we were uh, cutting the grass. I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and I've discovered um, that uh, they're really good at cutting grass. Uh, And so I was sitting out in the yard and uh, just out in a chair, and I was working through my sermon notes, and uh, I didn't realize that one of them was watching me. And I was just, man, I was just going at it, you know, all this. And one of them comes over to me and says, what are you doing, dad? And I said, oh, I said, I'm, I'm just preaching. He started laughing. He said, to who, you know, preaching to myself, <laughs> uh, preaching to myself. But I love this passage because it, it ministers uh, to my heart in some uh, powerful ways. And so my prayer has been for you that the Lord would give you a sense of his power and presence this morning through this text in Mark chapter 10. Um, Throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is, is consistently pictured uh, in very much the same way. He's pictured as the suffering servant, uh, the suffering servant king, rather, who identifies with us in our suffering. The suffering servant king who identifies with us in our suffering. And and that's actually uh, very different from many of the other world religions that you can read up and study on. Uh, All the other religions of the world tell you, this is what you have to do to get to God. And Christianity says, your king is coming down to you because you cannot get to him. And so the the gospel of Mark pictures uh, Jesus for us in that way. And in this text, you'll notice that chapter 11 uh, follows it, the triumphal entry, In this text, Jesus is really just a few miles outside of the city where he's going to suffer and to die in shame and dishonor, uh, important part of this passage. He's gonna suffer and die in shame and dishonor and he's gonna stop in the midst of the busy crowds to step down into the suffering of this man uh, whom I call Blind Bart, uh, but his name Bartimaeus actually plays an important part in this text. And he's gonna meet Bartimaeus at the point of his greatest need. And so we're gonna read the text together and uh, then we'll kind of stop and, you know, along the way as we walk through it and look at some of the overlooks as it were. So Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52, let's read together. Mark writes, and they came to Jericho And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, that is Christ, on the way. 
Will you pray with me? Lord, we pray you would take your word and you would break it open for us in a powerful way that we might experience this story, that we might step into it with our our biblical imaginations, Lord, and we might sense all the things that was going on, that were going on in this, in this passage. Lord, I pray uh, first and foremost that we would, um, we, we, we would gain a sense of your presence among us this morning, that we would feel the Holy Spirit's power in this place that quiets our thoughts, our hearts, our anxieties, our distractions, even the good things that call out to us, Lord, uh, that we have put in place of you, I pray that those would be ripped down this morning from the throne of our heart and we would see you, Jesus, for who you are. Minister to us in power today because if there's one thing we need, Lord, it is a taste of your presence. Let us leave with that today, Lord, for your glory and for your name we pray it, amen. Well, verse 46 tells us that they were coming to Jericho. This is not the Jericho uh, that you heard of when you were a little kid, you know, where they march around and the walls fall down. That's the old Jericho. This is the new Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, the word there is a mega crowd, it's megas, a mega crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, that's a lot of details for a beggar, okay? They could have just said there was a beggar hanging out by the roadside. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Now, this encounter, as I said, takes place in the new city of Jericho. This is about 15 to 18 miles outside of Jerusalem. And Jericho was a bustling city with crowds of people lining the streets. But it was also home to many of the Jewish priests and the Levites who would serve in the temple. One commentator says that there were over 20,000 priests who were attached to the temple that served on a rotation basis. But here, right at Passover, everyone would have been on duty. And so imagine the crowd of people there in this new city of Jericho flocking to Jesus, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people gathering into the streets because here comes that renegade rabbi. Here comes that rebel Jesus. We wanna see what he's gonna say next. We wanna hear what's gonna happen. We're hoping for the Pharisees and him to sort of cross swords. We wanna experience this thing. So verse 40 says, uh, 46 says he was going through Jericho and I picture a circle, you know, and Jesus comes in on one side of the city through a gate and he's passing through Jericho. He didn't intend to necessarily stop there, but he's passing through Jericho, headed to Jerusalem to attend the Passover feast. And when he was about to leave the city, they happened upon this blind beggar and Mark takes great pains to tell us his name. We learn actually quite a few things about him. He was blind, he was a beggar, and his name was Bar Timaeus. Okay, so I'm calling him Blind Bart, uh, but, but Bartimaeus, in fact, means son of Timaeus. So when you see Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, it's repeating his name, in fact, Bar, son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. Okay, so obviously, Mark wants us to understand there is some detail tucked inside of his name that is important. But the fact that he's physically blind also plays a big role in this text. You look at it and say, well, obviously, Josh, because he's a blind guy who wants to recover his sight. But if you look at the scripture, oftentimes blindness is equated with the ignorance of spiritual things. So someone who is blind in scripture is said to not be able to see God or to see the fingerprints of God at work around him or her. But here in this text, it's the blind beggar who seems to be able to see most clearly of everyone in the crowd that day. 
I can't help but think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul talks about God chooses what is foolish and weak and low and despised. He chooses those things that nobody else would choose for what purpose? To shame the wisdom to shame the strength and to shame the pride of this world. You're gonna see that unfold right here before you in this text. Verse 47 says, when he, talking about Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to cry out and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many began to rebuke him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now in the Greek, the sentence structure gives us the idea that Bartimaeus was calling out to Jesus, right? He was calling out to him, but it actually indicates he yelled and he yelled some more and he kept on yelling and kept on yelling and kept on yelling until finally Jesus heard his voice over the din and the clamor of the crowd. See, there was an urgency There was a desperation in his voice because he knew this is my one shot. This is it for me. Here he goes passing by. I've heard about him. I've heard about what he can do. This is it. And so he was absolutely desperate for help. But the second thing is actually the tense of the verb indicates that Bartimaeus was calling out to Jesus for him to heal him at once. Like right here on the spot, Jesus, heal me right here, right now. Now, when you read that, when you hear me say that, you may think to yourself, well, that sounds awful presumptuous of a blind beggar who's sitting down in the dust and he's got nothing to offer to this Jesus, but he's calling on him, heal me right now. Like, how do you talk to Jesus that way? I couldn't help but think about my kids. I have five kids, if you don't know that. Uh, Their ages are 10, 8, 5, 3, and 1. How'd you do that so fast? When we came here four months ago, everybody says, do you have any kids? Yeah, we got five. Five, wow. Now, how old are they? 10, 8, 5, 3, and 1. I had to learn to do that, okay? So I've got two of them who, are, uh, who love a sippy cup, right? Love sippy cups. We have sippy cups everywhere in my house. Uh, usually dirty sippy cups because he can't keep up with them just the washing, man. We find them under chairs. We find them uh, all behind things, sippy cups stuffed inside the sippy cups, you know, tucked under the bottom of bed sheets where they've gone to bed the night before. And when they wake up in the morning, I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and the one-year-old has not learned how to talk yet, so he grunts what he wants, right? But my three-year-old, he's he's pretty articulate. Daddy, I want some orange juice now, you know? Son, do you know who you're talking to? I'm the father. You're the three-year-old. You're not going to talk to me that way, right? I'm just a regular Joe. Who am I, right? You would think that Jesus would would take that kind of attitude when this blind beggar down in the dust says, heal me at once. But he doesn't, does he? He completely does the opposite of what we would think. And the more I read the Bible, the more I preach the Bible, the more I think through the way that the Holy Spirit authored and inspired this text, it seems to be always the opposite of what I think. In College Connection on Sunday nights, we've been preaching through this series called The Upside Down Kingdom. Not that Jesus' kingdom is upside down, but the kingdom that we live in and then we get lost in, that our affections and our attention go toward, that kingdom is upside down. And so when I read the text, I, I, I bring that mindset, right? I'm, I live in this world. I bring that upside down kingdom to this text and Jesus shows me, Josh, you got it all backwards, And he reorients my thinking. That's what's happening right here in this text. It's not presumptuous of the way this blind beggar talks to Jesus. 
Actually, it's an indicator of his faith. That's why Jesus doesn't chide him and he doesn't ignore him and pass by him in order to save face with the crowds. Actually, what he does is he stops and does the very thing that probably few of us in this room would think to do. He meets this man where he is at his point of greatest need. See, Bartimaeus was desperate. Bartimaeus was urgent. He knew only this Jesus can give me what I can never gain for myself. I can't help but think about Psalm 51. The famous prayer of David after his great sin with Bathsheba, adultery and murder and cover up and lies. And this is the man after God's own heart. And listen to what he says in verse 17. The sacrifices of God. What does that mean? What we give to God. What we bring, our worship. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. That's so upside down. I'm supposed to bring him my gift, right? I'm supposed to bring him my, my righteousness, my goodness, my voice. If, if I could sing, I would do that. I love to sing, but I'm supposed to bring him those things, right? And David says, oh, no, 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 no. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not, never despise. James 4 says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. See, we got it all backwards, don't we? We like to raise ourselves up and then say, oh God, raise me up some more. No, he says, humble yourselves. You know what the word humble means? The word humble means to get low. It means to get low. I heard Adrian Rogers preaching one time and he talked about this. He said, you know, I realized I had a problem with pride in my life and so I went out into the woods and I was gonna be alone with God and I was gonna pray. So I got down on my knees out alone in the woods to pray and I felt the Holy Spirit saying, uh-uh, that's not low enough. He said, so I laid down on my face in the dirt. This is Adrian Rogers, this great modern day prince of preachers who's gone to be with the Lord. And he says, Holy Spirit says, that's not low enough. And so he says, I took my hand and I scooped out a little cup of dirt and I stuck my nose down in it. And finally the Lord said, that's, that's low enough. So one day I got the idea, I thought if that worked for Adrian Rogers, it'll work for me, right? <laughs> so I go out into the woods, out along Curtis Creek and McDowell County. And this shows you our flesh, our pride. I go out into the woods and I lay down and I, I scoop out a little dirt, right? And I get ready to lay down and stick my nose in it. And when I do, what does my flesh tell me to do? Get up and look around and make sure nobody's watching you. <laughs> I can't even get low without being worried because of my pride, right? The Lord says, humble yourselves, get low. And in the proper time, Peter tells us, he will lift you up. See, humbled people and hurting people hold a special place in the heart of God. They know how bad they need the Lord. Martin Luther has a great quote. He says this, God works by contraries, upside down, God works by contraries so that a man feels himself to be lost at the very moment he's being saved. Mm. Let that sit with you for a minute. God works in ways that we would not. He works in contrary ways so that you feel yourself to be adrift, to be lost, to have no anchor and no hope. And at that moment, that's when the Holy Spirit ushers you into the kingdom. See, this guy knows I've got, no, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And so he goes on screaming like a madman. Well, verse 48 tells us what happens. The crowds around Jesus start fussing at him. I'm gonna give you the G-rated version, okay? Hush, shh, shh. It's, it's more than that. They're saying, 
You're embarrassing us. You're making a fool out of yourselves. They rebuke him. And in other contexts in the New Testament, this word rebuke actually means to assess a penalty. So I don't know if you're a football fan or not, but it's almost like everybody in the crowd's got a little yellow flag tucked in their waistband, right? And when Bartimaeus, you know, starts screaming out, they, they throw the flag at him. Personal foul at the beggar in the dust, right? Thanks, Luke. I didn't even look, I knew who it was. <laughs> then Jesus' response in verse 49, the crowds don't want Bartimaeus to spoil the parade, but Jesus stops and says, call him. Look carefully. Does Jesus call him? Mm-mm. He calls on the crowds who are trying to muzzle him. He gives the muzzlers the mandate and says, call him here. Mm. So they say, their tune totally changes. They say, take heart, get up. He's calling you, right? They're they're on his side all of a sudden, right? Fair weather fans. And scripture is so plain. When Jesus hears this poor man's cries, you just sung this. Are you you seeing this? You just sung this. The Lord heard the poor man cry out and he answers us and delivers us from all of our fears. That's exactly what's happening right here with Bartimaeus. And so the crowds and the noise and everything in town stops for this one blind beggar seated down in the dust. Do you, do you feel the weight of this moment? Step into the story. Use your biblical imagination and picture it, smell it, see it. Bump into somebody in the crowd in your mind. The condescending crowds go from jeering to cheering and Jesus calls him. Don't rush past Jesus' response. He could have walked past Bartimaeus, seen him in the corner over there. Everybody's ignoring him and he could have done the Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, you know, healed him. And when Bartimaeus looks at him, he could have easily just winked at him and said, I'll catch up with you later. But he didn't do that. He stops the crowd right here in this moment and Mark doesn't want you to miss this. Listen, to identify with this suffering man at his point of need. Now you and I, you know, I I just started on this thing called the full focus planner. Like I feel like my whole life got organized, right? Everything's like geared at organization and efficiency all of a sudden in my world. I read this and I go, Jesus, that doesn't fit into the big three on this planner. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? That's, That's not efficient. Jesus, couldn't you be spending a little more time? I mean, you've only got a few days left, right? They don't, they don't know that but he does. And look at where he chooses to spend his, who's he hanging out with? Not the business leaders of this city. This guy's in the dust. He doesn't even have a business card. And Jesus is hanging out with this guy. Verse 50 says, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now, before you run past that, that cloak right there was his life. It was his covering. It was his mantle that shielded him from the, from the sun and shielded him from the sandstorms and shielded him from the driving rains. He would wrap up in that thing. It was the only thing he had to insulate him from the world that was beating him down. And when Jesus called his name, what does he do? Throws it off. And he sprang up, he leapt up and he came to Jesus and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man says to him, Rabuni, my master, let me recover my sight. Now you guys have been in, uh, y'all been in the book of Hebrews a hot minute, right? Good little while. Longer than I've been here. I've been here four months and five days. 
You guys have been in Hebrews a while, and as I was thinking through Hebrews, man, there's some incredible parallels. Listen to this. Chapter four says this. We have a high priest, listen, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands our weaknesses. Therefore, we can, not with fear and trepidation, but with confidence, come near, draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace and help in our time of need. What is Bartimaeus doing? He's jumping up and with no fear, he's running into the presence of God in the flesh. Think about Moses, Exodus chapter three, beginning of the Bible, right? Second book, third chapter, second book. Moses has this encounter with God in the wilderness and what did God tell him in that encounter? Don't come near. Don't come any closer where you're standing is holy ground. In fact, take off your shoes. Don't come near. What do we read at the end of the Bible after the finished work of Christ? Come on in. Come on in. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things what? Not seen. Bartimaeus can't see a, a, a stinking thing with his physical eyes. But God has given him the eyes of faith so that he seems to be able to see everything that's going on that the crowds are entirely missing. Hebrews eleven six talks about by faith, if we're gonna draw near to God and receive the words that, we, that, we, that he wants to give, we have to believe that he exists. Bartimaeus is convinced in his heart that Christ can give him what he cannot gain for himself. Chapter 12 of the book of Hebrews tells us what? Lay aside every weight that encumbers. That's not even talking about the sin that, that trips you up. It's the weight, that even the good things that are weighing you down in your pursuit of Christ so that you can't pursue him passionately or zealously like you ought to do. It says, lay those things aside. And what does Bartimaeus do? When Jesus calls his name, he lays aside that cloak. He's not gonna need it anymore. See, the physical and the spiritual are starting to sort of intermingle. See, I was a comm major. I don't know anything about DNA. But on Google one time in an image, I saw that they do this, right? A DNA strand intermingles. It weaves together. And you see this physical and this spiritual starting to weave together because Christ is perfectly orchestrating this entire thing. Verse 51, Jesus says to him, he says, what, what do you want me to do for you? He basically just reaches back and grabs the mic from Hunter and he says, here, Bartimaeus, preach, preach. What do you want me to do for you? Everybody knew what he wanted. He was a blind guy. He wants to receive his sight again. But listen to what Bartimaeus says. He says, not rabbi, he actually says a different word that may not show up in some of your translations. He says, Rabuni, Rabuni, my master, let me recover my sight. Some of our English translations, the ESV, the NIV, the King James, they don't capture the weight of this word. The NAS and the New King James get it right. They include the technical word that Bartimaeus uses for Jesus, he doesn't call him rabbi, which is just a common teacher. He calls him rabuni, which is a different word entirely. See, the title rabuni in Jewish literature was almost never used in reference to man. It was almost always used as a way to address God in prayer. And so right here in this moment, this blind beggar through the eyes of faith it is telling the crowds who this Jesus is. And so this blind beggar's brokenness becomes a platform for the other blind eyes 
in the crowd. Do you see the upside down nature of what's happening? Jesus has chosen the blind to lead the blind. Jesus says in verse 51, go your way, your faith has healed you. The word for healed in the Greek can mean a physical healing. That happens here, but actually throughout the New Testament, it speaks of someone being converted or rescued from unbelief. Something far deeper, deep down in this man's soul is happening that you and I cannot see with the eye. He's being rescued and converted from unbelief because of his faith in Jesus. Jesus is healing him physically, but also spiritually. Verse 52 says he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus on his way, which is Mark's way of saying he became one of his disciples. That's what we talk about around here. Become and multiply. You, like Bartimaeus has to become one of his followers in order to follow him and other people follow Christ after that. And so Bartimaeus, don't miss this. Bartimaeus started out in need. He cried out in desperation. He stepped out in faith and he went out seeing like he had never seen in his life. Don't you love that? And I think of all my favorite things about this text, I think my favorite part is that subtle wordplay on his name that I've actually missed all the times I've ever taught this text until this week. And when it hit me, I was like, good gracious. The Holy Spirit authors and inspires this text right here in powerful ways. And there's a subtle reversal involving his name right here. You know what the name Bartimaeus means? Son of honor. Son of honor. How much honor is there in being a poor blind beggar seated down in the dust with your hand out all day long and people despising you? None. And the only person who would stop and step down into this man's suffering and treat someone with honor was the one true son of honor himself, Jesus Christ. And he is giving honor to this man that nobody else would give honor to. Think about it. Jesus is just days away from being publicly dishonored and humiliated. And he stops to step down into Bartimaeus' world and honor his request for help and for healing. See, that's the only way into the kingdom. Like, there are no other doors. There is one door, his name is Jesus, and he has died on the cross to take our sin, to take our shame, to raise us up because we are beggars in the dust, blind, poor, needy, helpless, hopeless. And when he calls your name, he raises you up. And no longer are you a poor, blind, needy, helpless, hopeless beggar in the dust. You're a son and a daughter of the most high king of the universe. Behold, look, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You see that happening for Bartimaeus right here? Like you and I have a front row seat because God put this in this book. Isn't that awesome? We're made whole. We're made well because Jesus was crushed for our sins. I wanna make one quick point of application, a little more practical note before we finish up. Far too often, I don't wanna allegorize this text, but far too often, I'm one of the people in the crowd and I'm trying to hush up you know, something. I'm missing it. I'm not paying attention to what Jesus wants me to catch and to see and to observe that day. And I pass by that one person in my hurry 
to do good things because I missed the God thing in that moment. Jesus stopped the crowds, hundreds, perhaps a couple thousand people flocking through the streets, stopped all of them, dead standstill to minister to this one person in need. So I wanna just kind of lay something in your lap for a minute. Let's say there's a thousand people roughly that come through this place today. What if a thousand people for seven days made a commitment that they were gonna minister to one person this week? Just one, that's it. That's a thousand people that would feel and experience the tangible love and the ministry of Christ in some way. See, we overestimate the power of one, don't we? You know what you can do there? You can pray with and for one person. You can share the gospel with one person. You can feed one person who is hungry. You can visit one person who is lonely in need of encouragement. You can disciple one person at a time. You can adopt one child. What if this week you said, Lord, show me the one person you want me to encourage, pray with, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, fix a meal for, write a card to, make a call. Show me that one person. Think of the dent that gospel living could make in this little town right here where we are. So who's out there in the crowd that you can minister to this week? Who's your one person that you can nudge towards Jesus? Let's pray.